0: Good morning, beloved Orangewood. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter two, I loved what Allison said. The leaves are falling. It's cooler in the air. Yeah, right. I mean, last night my air conditioning uh, froze over. It just seized up. And I, and to me, I think it said it's the end of this September. I've been working all summer. Give me a break. I'm done, you know, and thank goodness for cooler air. So, uh, man, we still need air conditioning. I'm hoping to get that thing cranked up today until it does get cooler. But uh, thank God that we can gather in here in AC, but more importantly, gather in a place where God says we're two or more gathered. There he is. We're making our way through the book of Hebrews, this incredible book uh, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit that we find at the end of our Bibles. And it's basically going to say this to us. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I mean, he is, he is supreme. He is worth gazing upon. There's nothing like Jesus. And no matter what is happening in your life, no matter what circumstances are going on, no matter what things inwardly or outwardly that are going to distract you and, and put a burden on you uh, and drive you away from the God that, that loves you, God's word reminds us, man... Lock your eyes on him. Just lock your eyes on him because you know what? His supremacy and his sufficiency, it's enough. It's a good enough for, for all of life. And he's really going to get us home. We're, we really are in Christ Jesus. We are bound for the promised land. And there's good stuff today and there's good stuff coming tomorrow. My youngest, my oldest daughter, Jesse, and I. On the last day of vacation a few years ago, uh, when we were in upstate New York uh, at our cottage there, we decided to walk the falls. It's something I had done as a child, something we've done sometimes over the years as a family. But through the years and depending on the water conditions, especially the, the rain that may have fallen or even the snow the year before, those falls are a little bit treacherous. And you got to be careful walking them up. And especially that first falls. There's a series of falls that you can walk through. It's absolutely beautiful. So we made our way uh, through the woods and through uh, this little creek and up to that that first waterfall. And you stand there and think, oh my gosh, I I don't remember it quite being this big. And kind of chart your way up. And about two-thirds of the way up the first falls, she panicked. And she kind of just... Just got nervous. And he just realized of the circumstances around her. And have you ever been there? Have you ever been on something that's a little dangerous, a little strenuous? Or maybe just something in the life. And all of a sudden, you just kind of freeze. And she's right there. Like two-thirds all the way up. But right in the middle. There's no going down. There's no way you're going down. There's, you just really got to say, okay, we got to get through this. So as her dad, I went behind her. And the first thing I did was mask how afraid I was because I saw the panic in her face. So I'm thinking, okay, make sure you're playing it cool. I got this, no big deal. And I went, I just placed my feet behind her. So just as she was gripping onto the rock in front of her and her feet were there. I just put my feet, my size 14s uh, right behind her and my big knee hook and the middle of her back. It just says, okay, we got this. Don't look back. Don't look down. Fix our eyes forward. We're going to get through this. A lot of ways the writer of the book of Hebrews is putting his heels, his feet behind ours. And he's putting his hand on our back. Because he's finding the fact that Christians, those who have given their life to Christ. And those who were living night a life and it's harder than they thought. It's harder they imagine. They're, they're enduring more trials and it's more difficult. And they began to panic. They began to think, oh my goodness, is this it? Is this a Christian life? And are we really going to make it home? And they started wondering, is it really better behind us? And the, the writer is going to say throughout this passage, and we're going to see it again today. Listen, concentrate, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He is the Savior. He really will get us home. Anytime you freeze up in life or anytime you're distracted, make sure you look at him. This morning, we're going to see that uh, the writer of Hebrews is using this compare and contrast to show us the supremacy of Christ. And he's going to look at Jesus. He's going to compare it to Jesus like angels and other heroes in the Bible. And and today he compares Jesus to the ultimate hero of the Old Testament, Moses. He's going to say, Jesus compared to Moses. Well, there's no competition. Fix your eyes on Jesus because Moses was incredible. He was able to lead God's people out of slavery. He did incredible, powerful things for the Lord. But the generation that followed him and he saw great things. They didn't make it to the promised land. They died. And Jesus is greater. He's going to make sure that he gets us home. Again, it's incredible comparison. Like in the Old Testament, there's no one quite like Moses. I mean, Moses was a prophet who, who spoke face to face with God. He's called the friend of God. I mean, Moses, he's the deliverer. I mean, Moses, he's the lawgiver. Is there anything like him? Oh, yeah. Moses was just the opening act. On our anniversary this year, this summer, uh, Katie and I went to see the Mumford and Sons. Anybody know the Mumford Sons? Are they Awesome. Great band, uh, really enjoyed it. Went to one of my favorite venues to go see them. But they had an opening act that was just awful. I mean, I mean, who picked these guys? It's not even the same genre. I mean, I was just like, I can't wait for the real stuff to arrive. I can't wait for, for Mumford & Sons to come out here and, and you know sing in the concert I've longed for. No matter what we think of Moses, he was like the opening act. He's the warm-up band. It was pointing to one who was greater. As we look at Hebrews three, we're going to find that it really quotes a lot of Psalm ninety-five multiple times. It's like five times this psalm is quoted, and it's important because it's going to remind God's people. It's going to remind us that Moses was great, what an incredible leader, but he couldn't get him into the promised land. The rest that they long for, the rest that you and I long for, that rest that we're okay, that rest that we're loved that rest that we're gonna make at home? Moses couldn't get him there, but Jesus can get him home. So let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter three. We're gonna look at that. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be uh, on the screen behind me. And also they will be in your bulletin if you wanna follow along that way. We don't know who the the author of this great book of Hebrews is, but we do know this, that the Holy Spirit inspired them, that these are God's words, sharper than any two-edged sword. And here's the reality we do know that God's, these words are for you. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever is going on in your life right now, God wants to talk to you. Of all the things that we do in worship service, this is the most perfect because we're going to look at God's holy, inerrant word. And may you have ears to hear and hearts to embrace this incredible word of God. Hear the word of the Lord, Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus or fix your eyes on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify of the things that were to be spoken later. He was just a warm up act. But Christ is faithful over God's house As a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And now he's going to start to quote Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care or or see to it, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, interesting, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who have left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, as we gather in your holy name, we ask that you would do that which you have continually done for your people, that you would send us your son. You'd send us Jesus in spirit, that you would, you would send him to be here present with us in a way that we all could see him for who he really is, to believe and love and embrace him as our Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that you would do that which only you could do. That you'd be pleased to speak through a broken sinner who, who desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel again today. That you would give us ears to hear the voice of your son, our Savior Jesus. That you would give us minds to understand your holy word. That God, you would give us hearts that would embrace your truth. That would brace the supremacy and the sufficiency of your son for each one of us. And that God, you would be with us so powerfully in such a transformational way that you would cause our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. God, the things that I say that are wrong or the things that I say that are just merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me, you'll find an outline for you in your bulletin. And by the way, uh, I, I see that uh, John one seventeen needs to be read as well. I didn't read it through the, in the beginning, but we'll read that during the sermon as well. Chapter 3, three starts off this way. It starts off, therefore, therefore. And we have to ask the question, well, what is it, therefore? It's kind of a, it's a turning point. It's going to tell us, it's going to remind us of what was said in chapter 1 and what was said in chapter 2. That now produces, okay, now here's the therefore. Now act, believe this way. Well, in chapter one, we realize that Jesus is unlike any other. In chapter one, we're told that that Jesus is the owner of all things. That Jesus is the creator of all things. That he spoke and all things came into existence. That Jesus is the sustainer of all things. By the power of his word, it says, he is holding everything together. It also says that Jesus is the redeemer of all things. In chapter one, it says that Jesus is God. He's God's son. He's he's God in the flesh. I mean, there's, there's absolutely no one like him. Nothing is like Jesus. There's no other. And then in chapter two, it says this. But this Jesus who created all things, this mighty God, he put on flesh he was made like us in every way. In every way, he's, he's like you and me. He, he, he not only resembles us and likes us, but he, he likes us. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. He understands our weakness. He understands our temptation. Because of that, he's a merciful and perfect high priest for us. It's really incredible. It's chapter one, Jesus, high, holy, mighty God, no one like him. Chapter two, Jesus, meek, lowly just like you, just like me, there's no one here that he cannot relate to. And now because of this incredible savior of ours, because of this reality of who Jesus is, therefore, therefore consider Jesus, therefore fix your eyes on him. Why? Because this one is not ashamed to call you and me brother. Fix our eyes on him. In chapter 3, he's going to give us two more descriptions of who this Jesus is. He's going to call him the apostle and the high priest. Interesting, it's, it's just used here, the apostle. And the apostle means the sent one. He is the sent one. Now, typically when it comes to apostle, we think of Jesus sending his apostles. Sending us to be his representatives. But the ultimate apostle in the story of God is Jesus. He is the ultimate sent one. Listen to this. That God the Father would send him, Scripture would tell us, that God so loved the world that he would give, he would send his only son to come and to seek and to save the lost, you and me. So it says that this is Jesus, this mighty one, this low one. He's the one who was sent for us. And he's also a high priest. And again, the writer of Hebrews is really going to weave in throughout his argument of the supremacy of Christ, this, this high priest. And there's more to come. But let me remind you this high priest. What does a high priest do? There was only one. And he had this most incredible job that this high priest stood between God and man. He was the one who stood between God and man. He, he represented man to God. And he represented God to man. Why? To make intercession, to to make sure there was a sacrifice for sin and to plead the cause of, of God and to remind us of who he is and what God has done. Well, here you have Jesus as the ultimate high priest who stands between God and man. Watch this. Who stands between God and man because what? He is God and man. No greater intercessor, no greater high priest, because this is Jesus, fully God, fully man. Consider him, fix your eyes upon him. Why? Well, the writer will say too, well, he's, he's better than Moses. And this is basically saying to the, all those, and remember the original audience were Greek speaking Jewish folks and they who, who grew up and, and they learned in their synagogues, they learned in their classes that no one is like Moses. Back in my hometown, on Tuesdays, they had the Battle of the Bands on my favorite station. And every Tuesday, they'd pick a couple of bands and they put them head to head with each other. And we could call in and say, who was the best band? I mean, who, who was, was anybody ever gonna be able to dethrone the Stones or the Beatles? They had the Battle of the Bands. But we have to realize in scripture, there's no battle of heroes, there's no battle of bands, that Moses, he was simply the warm-up band. For the reality of who God is and the salvation found with him. But remember about Moses. Moses was the deliverer for God's people. Moses is a shepherd that that goes into the most powerful land of the time, Egypt. The most powerful man of the time says, hey, let my people go. Because God is going to really mess with you if you don't let my people go. It's through Moses that these 10 plagues would come. It's through Moses that God's people were delivered from slavery. It's through Moses that they walked through the Red Sea on dry land. Moses was the deliverer that was incredibly ultimate in the Old Testament. But he couldn't deliver them from sin. And he couldn't deliver them from death. You see, this ultimate deliverer is Jesus who sets us free. It was Moses. Moses is the lawgiver. Moses is the guy who who walks up Mount Sinai and his face is all glow from talking face to face with God. That God himself uses his finger and writes 10 commandments. It's Moses the lawgiver. But it's Jesus the law keeper. It's Jesus the one who fulfills the law. It's Jesus who's filled with grace and truth. It's Moses, the prophet. And of all the prophets in the Old Testament, they said, again, he spoke face-to-face with God. And I don't know exactly what that means, but what an honor. But we've already seen in the book of Hebrews that in different ways, in different times, God spoke to the prophets. But in these last days, God spoke to us through the ultimate prophet, his son. He has the last word. Why? He doesn't have to speak face-to-face with God. He speaks because he is God. There's Moses, the greatest historian. The first five books of your Bible is called the Pentateuch. It gives us the history of God's people, the nation of Israel. It begins with the beginning in the garden and makes us all, gives us these wonderful history. Moses, there's no historian like Moses. But There's Jesus. He created history. He created time. It's Jesus. He's the point of all of history, according to God's word. He is the actual meaning of history. And then there's Moses. It says about this, he's faithful in the house of God. He's a faithful servant in the house of God. But Jesus, he is the faithful son over the house of God. You gotta know this. A servant in God's house could never make you a son in God's family. Let me say that again. A servant in God's house can never make you a son or a daughter in God's family. Only a son can. Only a son over the house of God. Only that reality, that relationship. It's basically saying this. What Moses gave us was important. He gave us a law. But the law will never make you a son or daughter. The law will never set you free. The law will never adopt you into his family. The law cannot do what only the son can do. Moses gave us the law, but grace and truth came from God. Let's look at John 1.17. It says this. For the law was given through Moses. Remember, that was just the warm-up band, the intro band. The law was given to Moses, but grace and truth, what is needed for us to have salvation, what is needed for us to understand the story, what's needed for us to understand God and ourselves, grace and truth came. Through Jesus Christ, consider Jesus, fix your eyes on him. It's basically saying this, the law will never lead you to the promised land. Only grace and truth is. You know what this is saying to us? It's basically saying that you, 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 not the fact that you live a moral life. It's not the fact that you go to church. It's not the fact that you try to be a, a good person that will ever get you home or ever set you free. It'll never work. He shows us this incredible example by quoting Psalm 95 saying, here's what happened with the law. Moses delivered them out of slavery. They wandered through the desert for 40 years, complaining like crazy, having hearts not really believing, and they died. But Jesus is so much more because Jesus filled with grace and truth and mercy can give you life and life abundantly and truly make sure you find your way home. There's no other way. There's no other way. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. And then consider our calling. The second thing. It's incredible. Consider our calling. Did you see what the writer of Hebrew calls us? Holy brothers. Holy brothers and sisters. I guess we have to be holy in one way because Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers but is this that when Scripture uses those terms, that he's kind of winking, saying, yeah, yeah, you're, you guys are holy brothers and sisters. They want to sit there and say, well, wait a minute. I know my own life. I know pretty much some other people here. How in the world can God call us, can Jesus call us holy brothers? Well, the word holy really has kind of two flavors to it or two sides to it. Typically, when we think of holiness or holy, we think of morality and righteousness. And that's that's right. That's not bad. And we realize that according to Scripture, there's there's none who are righteous. There are none of us who are sinless That all of us have strayed. All of us and our words, thoughts and deeds have messed up. But the beauty of scripture is this, is that we could be called holy because it somehow pleased God the father to take God the son who knew no sin. And somehow it pleased him because he loved us to make him our sin on the cross. So that in Christ Jesus, in in faith in Him, by God's grace, as we as we embrace Him as our Lord and Savior, that He has taken our sin, our shame, our filth, and He has given us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That right now we sit here. If you are in Christ. As righteous because there's a righteousness imputed or given to us. It's God's righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. We are holy brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. That's the reality of who we are. But holy also means set apart. That God has set us apart. We are holy brothers because we are set apart. That's what the word church means. ecclesia, called out. We are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are called out of a relationship by nature. Is it wrath and enmity with God into relationship with God? What an incredible calling that God has given us as a holy brother. He's made us holy. He's given us this holy calling. And what is this calling? It's a heavenly calling, the writer of Hebrews says. And maybe Paul says it a little differently, but with the same flair. It's an upward call of Jesus in Christ Jesus. Church, consider your calling. Consider your calling. Not just, you're holy and precious in God's sight. And he's calling you home. And he's calling you upward. And no matter what stage in life you are, if you feel just panic right now, you just feel like maybe you're two thirds the way through the journey. It's harder than you thought. It's higher than you thought. It's slippier than you thought. It's more difficult than you thought. Are you gonna make it home? And God says, yeah, you have an upward calling. You see, I think the reason that uh, the writer refers to Psalm 95 so often in this is because he was referring back to God's people living in the wilderness. He was referring to God's people who saw an amazing miracle take place. They were delivered from slavery. They're chomping on heavenly bread every day, manna. They're being, they're being led by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. They're seeing some miraculous stuff. And yet, they were in the wilderness. They started to wonder, is there really a promised land? Are we really going to make it? Maybe it's better behind us. Maybe if we go back. Maybe my former life, maybe my former job, maybe, maybe slavery was better than the wilderness. I think that we can relate to that. Because in a lot of ways, as Christians, we feel like we're in the wilderness. We've been delivered. I mean, we've been delivered by the greatest delivery. I mean, according to scripture, our our sin has truly been paid for. And according to the reality of that empty grave, it is finished. Death has been defeated. And he's promised to be with us and love us. But we're not home yet. We're not not fully there. And, And sometimes in the wilderness, we wonder, is this promised land for real? And God's reminding us, yes. He's got a hand on us. He's never going to let us go. And unlike Moses, who couldn't get him there, Jesus will. He also calls us the house of God. In verse six, consider your calling, holy brothers, heavenly calling, house of God. We're the place where God uniquely dwells. He owns everything. He sustains everything. But he says, we're two or more of you to gather this church. You are the building. We are the building of God. Paul will tell us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We can't look behind us. It's not better behind us. It really is real in front of us. Consider your calling. And lastly, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you've been called. What what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of your calling? I'm going to tell you, I've tried to tell you really clearly That the reality of the fact that who we are in Christ Jesus is all by God's grace. That God doesn't love you because of what you do or what you've done or what you will do. God doesn't love you because you're more moral or or more right than your neighbor is. Or you've done the right thing or said the right thing. God doesn't love us. God loves us because he loves us. We are saved purely. 100%. By the grace of God seen in Christ Jesus. And now he says, now by the way, you're saved by grace, but live in a manner worthy of your calling. What does that mean? Does that mean that now we have to earn it? That now we have to to make sure we're moral? Now we have to make sure that we are, are more righteous than our neighbor? What does it mean to walk worthy of the name of our calling? I'm telling you, it means this. Walk by faith. Walk by faith, trusting that the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus is enough for your life. Walk by faith that no matter what circumstances you find yourself, what is broken around you, within you still, and how it's much of a struggle, and now you find yourself sometimes two-thirds the way on that waterfall, panic, say, I can't go any further. You walk in a manner worthy of your calling by saying, but I believe that Jesus is sufficient. I believe that Jesus will never let me go. I believe and I know the reality that Christ is gonna get me home. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He hasn't left the building. My family isn't what I want it to be. My my life, my job maybe isn't where I thought it would be. There's still sin that I can't let go. But walk in a manner worthy of of your calling is to say, but I know who I am and I know whose I am. I've been saved by the blood of lamb. I've been set free. I've been made new. I'm his. I'm beloved. And you know what? He's not changing his mind about me. Because he's got a grip on me and he's not letting go. And he calls me beloved and he means it. And he even knows the truth. He doesn't have to pretend. He he doesn't have to wink at my sins. He's dealt with all of them. He knows my frailty. He knows how prone I am to wander. He knows the lack of faith I even have. So walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk by faith. Hold your head up high and know that you're a sinner saved by God's grace. Consider Jesus. Consider your calling. And lastly, seize the day. This word today is used over and over in this this passage. Today, today, today. He's basically saying live in the today mode. How is your life? Are you living in the today mode? Some of us live in the yesterday mode. These are the people that we walk alongside and say, man, do you remember those glory days? Do you remember those those days in high school? Do you remember those those days where things were easier, things were better, things were more glorious? And by the way, nostalgia has a way of absolutely distorting the past that we think that that was the glory days back there. I, I uh, Being a classic rock fan, Brian Adams, the summer of 69, those were the best days of my life. And the way I could relate to that, you know, I, the, the freedom of high school, the joy and the girlfriend and all that good stuff. That was the best days of my life. Do you know how pathetically sad it is to look back and say that was the best days of my life? Are you living in the today mode or the yesterday mode? But many of us live in the tomorrow mode. The tomorrow mode is like, it really stinks now, but there's a day coming, it's gonna get better. I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna kind of live my life passing through mile marker by mile marker. And you live just thinking, I just gotta get to that point. Oh man, I'm guilty as charged right here too. I, by the way, I'm, I'm both of those, you know? Trying to live in the glory days in the past and and look forward in the future. And, and sometimes I think, you know, I'm a world-class schemer. You have never been a better schemer than me. I mean, a world-class schemer is trying to trying to, manipulate anything he can to make sure things go the way I want them to go. I am a world-class schemer. But God says, seize today. Don't scheme for tomorrow. Don't scheme in a way that's just going to try to make things work out for you. Trust me. He says this, don't harden your heart. Seize the day, don't harden your heart. Verse 12, it's really interesting what it says here. Take care, or it's actually, it's an uh, exhortation to see. Look at this, focus here. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, watch this, unbelieving heart. The greatest evil that you and I ever could commit, the greatest evil is unbelief. The greatest evil I mean, the sins that we commit with omission or commission, the things that we do wrong or say wrong or think wrong. God is so gracious. He forgives those. But unbelief, unbelief and the the hardening of, of our hearts, it leads us away from the living God. It says two things we got to protect ourselves in living today, the unbelief and this sin. But let's, let's again, what is this unbelief? It's not believing in the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. It's looking to another. It's looking to the law to justify us. It's looking to another thing that, that can really set us free. It's having an unbelieving heart. You know, I, I read this and I want to think, well, there's a lot of people who aren't believers. Man, that, that the sinful unbeliever not believing in Jesus, what's the matter with them? But let's hold this up to us. What is your unbelieving heart? And I'll tell you what it is. It's anything you're pursuing that you think will give you life apart from Christ. It's anything that you're pursuing that you think will give you identity apart from Jesus. It's unbelieving. It's basically unbelieving saying, you know what, Jesus, you say you're the way you're the truth in your life, but you're not really or you're not enough. I mean, listen, this is where it really meets the road for us, because he's laying out a a argument that says that the greatness of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus and the sufficiency of Jesus is enough for all of us all the time. But every time you wander away and every everything you do that, that drives you, all those sinful things we know, do you know where it starts? It starts with an unbelieving heart that the gospel isn't good enough, that Jesus isn't enough, that we wander to go see what else do we need in our bags to make sure that we are sufficient and free. The reality of this is there's no rest for an unbelieving heart. We're going to deal with rest in the next week, especially. But if you're trying to find your identity in in the law, or a moral person, if you're trying to find your security, your hope, your life, anything you're trying to find apart from Jesus, there's no rest. You'll always run. You'll always be weary. You'll never, ever have enough. Only in him. What does this might look like? This unbelief might look like this. I, I don't believe that my spouse can really meet my needs. And I got them. And I really don't believe myself. So I'm going to look for someone else. I don't believe that God's provision for me is enough. I, I'm going to look somewhere else. Where, where are you looking? Where are you not believing in the sufficiency of Christ? That sin None of you are supposed to harden our hearts for sin. Why? Because the deceitfulness of sin take our eyes off to Jesus. It lies to us that he's not enough. It lies to us that says that the, better, the best life is behind us. It lies to us saying that there's not really a promised land or a savior in front of us. But we gotta realize that Moses and the law will never get us to the promised land. Will never give us rest. Only Jesus will. Seize today. Seize today. Don't live in the past. Don't have to have your hope for tomorrow. What does today look like? Seize today. Believe that Jesus is enough for you now. It also says exhort one another. Get in community group. Go to Band of Brothers Women's Ministry. Get in with other believers. Exhort one another. Remind one another Jesus really is enough. He really came for sinners like us. He is God in the flesh, God Almighty. What an incredible savior we have. Today, if you hear his voice, have you heard his voice today? What, what is God saying to you today? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. What is in your heart that is darkened with unbelief? I tell you, if you have a hard time looking, look at those things that, that you're really nervous about. Those things that that you're fretting over. Listen, your heart of unbelief, find where you don't have rest and bore down right there. And say, what am I not believing about the gospel? What am I not believing about the sufficiency of Christ? What, what, what What is making me have this fear and unrest? What about your heart is darkened with unbelief? What if your heart is hardened with sin? That's what sin does. It takes our eyes off of him and it puts us on ourselves and our circumstances. It entitles us for something better and more. It gives us sin will wanna empower us to go and, and look for better beyond what God has provided. It always leads us astray. What about your heart is hardened by sin? What about your life that's unable to rest? I point you to Jesus. The supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. He truly, listen, he truly will and will continually set you free. He really is enough. He's enough for your day. He is. He's enough for tomorrow. But hang on, he'll show up there too. He will get you home. At the end of the day, remember, it's not your grip on Jesus that wins the day because you're like me. You're not gonna have enough faith. You're not gonna do enough right things. But by God's grace, he holds on to us. He said, that's my beloved. That's who I came to save. And I'm never going to let them go. And I'll never change my mind about them. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the beauty of your son that's so incredibly painted by the writer of the book of Hebrews. God, what a great way to start in chapter one to remind us that the supremacy of Christ is unlike any other, that no one, no one rivals him, no one could touch him. Angels, don't I even mean, come close to this Jesus, God in flesh, creator, sustainer, owner of all things, redeemer. And God, dude, so wonderfully reminded in chapter two that this high and holy, mighty one became low and meek and accessible as he became like us in every way, as he's not ashamed to call us brothers. And God, we thank you, the reality, that we thank you for your servant, Moses. We thank you that you loved him. And thanks for giving us this good law through him. We we don't want to cut him off, but we thank you, more importantly, that he was just warming us up, pointing us to what Christ would do and fulfill. Thank you that Jesus is able to do Everything that the law and Moses couldn't do. And that is to set us free. To make us truly be yours. Not just slaves, but sons. God, I, I pray for us this morning. I pray because the reality is, is that you have spoken to us. The reality is you've probably revealed to us where, where our hearts are at unrest. Where, where is the core of our unbelief? God, would you lovingly show that to us? Would you let me take my eyes off my neighbor who I might think I'm a little bit better than them and I don't have to look at myself? God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your truth in Jesus. I thank you that we don't have to hide. I thank you that we don't have to pretend. I thank you that we could come to you and say, yep, I can't keep the law. I'm an imposter. I thank you that Jesus, you have done it all, everything that we failed to do. I thank you that you bore our shame and our our sin so we truly can be free. Jesus, forgive your church because we live like we don't believe that you're enough. We live like you're not supreme and sufficient. Forgive this preacher. God, I want to walk in a manner worthy of your name. I want to walk by faith. Would you help us to confess our sins? Because we know that you'll be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And God, may you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.